Hi, I'm James Atkinson, and thanks to Crymalt, this is Beer is a Conversation. This week, we present an interview I recorded with Tony McGee, who founded Lagunitas Brewing Company in Petaluma, California in 1993. Spearheaded by its top-selling IPA, Lagunitas underwent two decades of phenomenal growth, becoming one of the biggest names in American craft beer. McGee sold a part share of the business to Heineken International in 2015, and the remainder not long after that. In this interview, he reflects on the sale, as well as Lagunitas' impending rollout in Australia, amongst many other topics. I hope you enjoy the chat. Tony McGee, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Radio Brews News. Cheers. Um, I just read an interview with you where you you gave the comment, I didn't have a business plan. I was just going to sell beer and make more than it cost me to brew it. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking to myself, could you have done the same thing today if, if Lagunitas was going to launch as a new brewery today in the States? I think people are doing it every day. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I don't know, last year, I think another 900 breweries opened in the United States. Uh, and, you know, some of them start out with people who got some business experience and some uh, insight into how to how to price things. But I think most most of the people still opening breweries are opening them with as inspired amateurs, like a punk band, you know. It's like, let's just get some instruments and turn up loud and see what happens. We'll figure it out later, you know. I think that's going on all the time, everywhere in the world. I mean, guys, I was in, I was in Ho Chi Minh, like... Uh, few weeks ago and there's there's a brewery, six breweries that we saw there in downtown you know old saigon and i don't think any of them are more thoroughly contemplated than that they want to make beer and sell it for more than it costs them how do you think it's going to play out in the states uh then with i mean surely i've just come back from the cbc and yeah. i've seen that the growth yeah. once again is stabilized at that uh five percent for the second year and yet we've got this record numbers of brewery openings yeah. um so what, what's your feeling on where the market's going to end up in the U.S. in particular, yeah. well, you know, uh, yeah, you, you say stabilized at 5%, but we just saw, I just saw some numbers before I left home uh, uh, that uh, actually craft is down uh, in grocery stores some 3% or so, you know, in the last 30 days. So, I, I mean, I, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, you know, Alan Greenspan used to call it irrational exuberance. And, you know, there's just people just want to be involved in the craft industry. And I think as long as craft beers are attractive being a craft brewer will be attractive and so um, i'm not sure that it'll ever end i think that there's a rationalization coming you know and uh you know it's the you know the market might be able to support ten thousand brewers but i don't think that you can open a thousand breweries a year for you know four or five years running without without eventually overwhelming the existing infrastructure you know and so that's all right though you know i mean you know this is how you know, it's how Darwin works works it out. You know, you, you know, a lot of people try, and some will succeed, and some will not succeed. And you know, interesting things will happen. And you know, with all that energy coming into beer, it's the innovation is endless. You know, and so if you know, if you're a beer lover, I mean, this is like the best time in the last thousand years to be a beer lover. You know, there's in the United States, there's 6,500 breweries all trying to get your attention. You know, and I think someone has just told me here in Australia, there's uh, 530 breweries. Uh, I was just in the UK a little bit ago, and there's 2,000 breweries in the UK. <laughs> it's crazy, you know. But 
why not you know well, you know when I, when I was growing up in the United States in the, in the you know in the 70s and 80s you know it was a highly consolidated industry there were four or five brewers you know supplying you know 90% of the beer that got sold in the US that's a bubble you know not 6,000 breweries that's not a bubble the bubble is consolidation at that level and I think that that that, uh, that bubble burst and 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 so many people now know how to make beer and are inspired to try to make something to get people excited you know that they're that it you know, this is this like the democratization of brewing knowledge has really it's in its like, you know, just being exalted right now. I've just had a couple of IPAs, uh, Luganese IPA and a, du- a double IPA. I'm not sure. I can't remember what the name of it was, but just holding it up now. Very bright. Yeah. Very clear. Yeah. Um, that's not so cool right now in the states, isn't it? Um, what What are your thoughts on what's what's kind of happening over there with the whole phenomenon of the hazy, juicy IPA? Well, you know, cool always happens around. The, I mean, cool is a funny word to use. I mean, you know, what's a, uh, you know, you know, what's what's the line from the Tower of Power tune? You know, what's hip today may become passe. I mean, you know, things rise and things fall. I mean, and it's and it's always good for the beer lover when things when things rise. It's just more variation. People, you know, uh, the, you know, there's so many breweries. I mean, there, if if there's sixty, you know, sixty three hundred breweries operating in the U.S., I bet each of them makes three IPAs. So that, that means there's eighteen or twenty thousand IPAs in the United States. People are looking for, you know, legitimately looking for ways to have their own voice. And I think the hazy one is just, you know, that's that's another voice added to the chorus of beer. You know, calling them all IPAs is kind of funny because, you know. They're not, I mean, you know, there's so so much variety, and they're not all like any kind of classic IPA. You know, I think people call anything that's hoppy in character an IPA now. Then you know that it's it just it's a little lack of imagination in, in what things are called. So these hazy beers that are have a you know relatively low IBU and a high hop flavor, that that's fascinating. It's something new under the sun. <laughs> you know. I don't know that it, that it makes other things that aren't that have been happening before that uncool. I suppose maybe uncool is the wrong word, but maybe yeah. uh, the fashion in the states um, is you know I, I mean particularly on the east coast where I've just come back from in New York around there. It's I went to one brewery where they had seventeen different IPAs on, and almost all of them were really really hazy. You know, when we were a younger brewery with uh, fewer uh, technical resources to, to make a beer that looks like ours does now, that's how all of our beers look. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, I mean, they just did. Our beer was hazy for the longest time and uh, uh, with the yeast sediment and all the rest of it. The thing about hazy hazy beers is that there's um, still a lot of material in the beer. And, and so when those things are fresh, they're, they're lovely. I mean, they're delicious, interesting things. It's That's the kind of beer that brewers drink when they're drinking out of a fermenter. So that's what the consumer is enjoying is really brewer's beer in a way. Um, but uh, they're not, they're, they're, they don't necessarily translate into very stable packaged products. So you have to, so as a brewer, you have to, Decide what it is you want to try to accomplish, and and if you're uh, if you're if your distribution is largely local, and you you know you know exactly you know how your beer will be handled, then why not? I mean, make stuff like that. We we make we make a uh, we made a fusion beer just a little bit ago that uh, that um, it's one of our sh- sort of short run things. It's I I guess ostensibly a hazy IPA, um, but it doesn't go very far. You know, we don't we don't sell it everywhere in large quantities. We have seen the likes of Sam Adams and Sierra Nevada though bring out uh, their 
you know, um, answer to hazy IPA. Yeah, that's right. And, and do it, you know, I saw a Sierra Nevada hazy IPA on the shelves of a supermarket in yeah. Brooklyn. So, yeah, um, yeah we, we are seeing those bigger players kind of answer that call on, on a more widely distributed basis, and you guys haven't done that, I guess. No, you know, because it, it's hard to do one thing well. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, say anything disparaging about those brewers, but I think those brewers are looking for... A, a hook, you know. I mean, that their 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 volumes otherwise are challenged by all of the new innovations coming in from by other brewers. And in fact, you know, their their total production is declining a little bit. You know, so they're looking for something else that will maybe kind of give them a lift. Why why shouldn't they? You know, this is it's good business. We continue to grow with the kind of beers we've been making for a long time, and so some brewers, you know, will have a great time making those. And you know, we it's like you know if. Uh, you know, if I was, uh, you know, Aerosmith, the band, and, you know, a disco got popular, I, I think it would be a mistake for me to make a disco album. <laughs> you know, because, you, you know, if I was Aerosmith, I'd do something different, and nobody sounds like me if I'm Aerosmith. And so, so there's, there's just, this, this, the beauty of this, this time, there's, you know, like I said, this is the best time in the last thousand years to be a beer lover, because there's so many things being offered to you, you know. Absolutely. Um, and what about... The Australian market, um, it's sort of been something that I've never really understood why there's one pub in Melbourne that seems to have Lagunitas IPA on tap and we're sitting in it right now, the Great Northern um, in Carlton. What's the history of that relationship with the Great Northern? Ah, the Great Northern has just been an enthusiastic supporter of ours for, for a long time. It's, uh, you know, he gray marketed beer in, you know, he'd have beer air freighted in and uh, it was just, you know, he just, he just got excited about us. And it, it was gray marketed gray imported first was it or, yeah, yeah 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 is that desirable i mean i thought that might be a reason to never give them beer at all in the future <laughs> you, you know and so when, if, if somebody shows you that kind of love and you you, you know you, you want to pay it back you know and and so he's he's been a good friend and it's, it's cool to be here right now with him tonight launching launching all of the whole country here so is, is this al we're talking about now yeah 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 cool. yep, yep. so sometimes gray marketing leads to very kind of poor outcomes for the beer but but he's been very diligent about making sure that the beer was always fresh and poured well, and so it's like it's, it's good to have friends. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and so the you mentioned that the brands continue to grow volumes. Um, how much of that has been just the having the access to the Heineken distribution? Uh, well, when I say we're, we're growing primarily, I'm, I'm talking about in the United States. When, yeah. I, when I talk about that, and, and in the United States, Heineken really has no no uh, influence on what we do. I mean. Uh, you know, there's um in the United States there's the Heineken USA, H U S A Heineken USA. That's their operating company in the U.S. Lagunitas is an operating company just like Heineken USA, and uh, in fact, within all of Heineken, we're the only uh, brewery that is when they call them opcos or operating companies, and they have like there's Heineken France. That's an opco. There's Heineken Netherlands. That's an opco. There's Heineken, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, South Africa. That's an operating company. Um, we're the only brewery brand in the Heineken of the 160 some breweries that they that they partner with all over the world. That's its own operating company. So we are as a country. I mean, you know, and which means I need to get a soccer team and an airline and you know and get some nuclear weapons, <laughs> kind of be a. But but um, so our 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 autonomy in the U.S. is is 100. percent We 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 drive our own ship and do the things we do. And so there we're growing as we have grown for a long time. Internationally, our business this year is up 95. percent 
And that is definitely a result of the Heineken relationship. And it's the most gratifying thing in the world to, you know, to, to see your beer available in, you know, Mexico City and in Madrid and, you know, in uh, Stockholm and, and, and now, you know, Melbourne and Sydney and Perth. And it's going to be great. It's, it's just gratifying, you know, because we're in the business of making friends. And, and, and this offers a pipeline to the whole world. I mean, you know, we could have done it eventually, I guess, you know, but you know, I'm 58 years old now, you know, going on 80 sometimes, I think, you know, and for Heineken, it took them three generations to develop this global platform. And so we now have an opportunity to tap into, you know, three generations worth of hard work. Given that you've just told me that you're still growing really strongly in um, in the U.S., um, and actually we've just mentioned a couple of brands, not to single anyone out, that are that, that are doing it pretty tough, that are still independent, and the brewers associations come out very aggressively recently with the whole independence seal uh, angle of marketing. I mean, what do you think that says about? How much consumers really care about independence if Lagunitas has managed to keep growing in spite of being owned by a multinational? Um, you know, it's independence is a funny thing. I'm not sure. I mean, when I was when, before I had the brewery, I, I wouldn't have known any of these things. So, you know, most people don't know how businesses work and 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 what their obligations are. For certain, you know, I'm going to say Boston Beer. It's a publicly traded company. You know, they have an obligation to shareholders that are everything from a beer lover that lives in Boston to a mutual fund that invests someone's retirement funds, you know, in, in the stock. And so I don't know, you know, how independent are you when you have to respond to a quarterly call, you know, every, you know, and, and explain the company's operating numbers and justify your decisions. And, and, and if you're, if you're not publicly traded, maybe you're privately owned, you know, as the other brewery we talked about, and well, they have a bank, you know, and they owe money to a bank, you know, and the, and the bank has operating covenants that they place on the business and they have to be responsive to the bank because the bank has, you know, has capital invested in, the, in their business that has to be repaid. So independence is a funny thing, you know. I mean, what does it really mean, you know? Um, everybody has partners and everybody has obligations to those partners you know it's um i mean unless you unless you're a fortunate person that where you have family money and you know you can just put it into your business and it can stay there and never have to do anything except you know be parked and and you know and and, and operate the business so you know short of that everyone has partners and so i had a bank before and i had obligations to my bank and now i have heineken as a partner instead in the bank well they're not really a partner though are they they're in the brewery well, you know, um, they aren't in the brewery. I mean, this is, you know, the, if, I, if I say something like this, you know, people th- can often think it's spin, you know. Well, that was my reaction, to be honest. <laughs> well, well, it, well, it, well it's, it's legitimate because, you know, I mean, you know, perceptions are, are bounded by the limits of a person's experience. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no, you know, there's no shortcoming in that, you know, unless a person, you know, kind of shuts down the possibility of learning more about it. And, you know, you're, you're talking to me, so I don't think that you've shut anything down at all. So um, the, 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 tr- the truth of the matter is, is Heineken, we, we approached Heineken in the first place. And so in doing that, you know, um, you know, we were able to kind of sort of dictate the terms of engagement for the conversation that led to their investment. Um, and Heineken hasn't and won't colonize Lagunitas. Um, my primary relationship at Heineken is with the CEO, uh, Jean-Francois Van Boxmeer, just a smart, very thoughtful, perceptive character who knows that Heineken doesn't have 
the, uh, the, the core competency of being involved in craft. And that's why they invested in Lagunitas, because they want us to do that within Heineken. And they want us to work with their operating companies around the world who will also engage the local craft now. And, but we can help uh, be a compass for how they engage with craft and what, and what matters most in craft and, and help them to succeed, you know, so that the, their craft partners that they may invest in also succeed. So, so, you know, we, we have kind of a role. You know, I have joked, you know, that I feel like my job is to take over Heineken. But, you know, I don't mean to sit in the CEO seat. What I mean is to infect Heineken with, the, you know, some of the things that we've learned about the new world of beer that's very different from the old world of, of commercial lager. And, and uh, our ways of being are different than theirs. And theirs are still, you know, relevant because, well, you know, even in the United States, 85% of the beer that gets sold is still commercial lager, you know. But, but like in San Francisco, for instance, uh, 60% of the value, all the money spent on beer in the Bay Area is spent on craft beer. 60%. I mean, that, that's, that's a world that's been turned on its ear, you know. And the same thing is true for Portland, different numbers, but very close. Seattle, you know, uh, Washington, San Diego, California. Um, so so, uh, so we're, we, we, we kind of lead that. So people talk, you use the word selling out, and they use it in a kind of a pejorative sense. Um, but I'm here right now, and, and I, I don't work for Heineken. I don't work for Lagunitas. I'm actually retired, but I've also been on the road since April 2nd, you know, all, you know, in, in Ho Chi Minh and Saigon and London and Cape Town and, you know, Florida and, and now here uh, talking about Lagunitas and sort of looking after and trying to promote the ideas of what it is that we do with, with the operating companies. You were at a scale where you must have been attracted to other companies, yeah. yet you, you, you chose to go and talk to Heineken. Yeah. Um, does that mean that you didn't want to be owned by ABI or that that wasn't something you would have considered? And if so, why not? Well, you know, a, a real nice fella came from ABI to talk to me and, you know, went out and had a burger and, and I enjoyed the burger and he's a nice fella. And we had a conversation at the end. He says, well, would you consider partnering with a larger brewer? And I looked at him and I said, ABI? I'd rather put out my eyes. And that was the end of our dinner. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, because ABI is a financial entity. You know, Heineken's a big company, though. What's the difference? <laughs> well, well, Heineken is, is... So Charlene Heineken and her husband, Michelle de Carvalho, right? Who, who, who I, you know, I've met on a number of occasions, Michelle in particular. And his oldest son is actually on the Lagunitas board. So, you know, it's like we, we bought into the family. In, in more ways than not, they are truly still family-driven, uh, family-valued company, you know, and, and uh, uh, there's, a, there's a certain kind of... Culture? Yeah, yeah, and, and, yes, and, and their horizons are further out because it's a family business, you know, where, whereas ABI, you know, it's a fabulous, fabulous business, but it's a financially-driven entity. It's financial business. I mean, you know, they do this, this zero-based budgeting every year. You know, it's like because they want to be sure that every dollar is properly spent and not and not simply kind of rolled from year to year. It's financial is the backbone. And beer is the way they drive their finances. You know, Heineken is still very much about brand. You have to make money. But when I was Lagunitas, I had to make money. You know, I mean, it was, you know, so there really is, is very, very little difference in that way. So... You know, I, I, so 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 we had the opportunity to be involved with all kinds of companies, and there were two others that we we left standing at the altar, and not, and they're they're frankly, I mean, they're offered, uh, their financial you know offer to Lagunitas was 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 stronger than the Heineken offer, but Heineken is the partner that I wanted to be wanted to work with. 
just to change tack completely, uh, cannabis um, in has been legalized in California. Really? I think as of uh, as of January one. Yeah. Um, and you're very much on the record that you're a you know you're a pot smoker. Um, what what do you think is going to be the impact of that on the craft beer category in the U.S. as you know as more states legalize legalize weed? Well, I'll say this. Every now and then, you know, um, now now with vaping and stuff where, you know, there's a little less smoke involved and so it's a little easier on your lungs and stuff, you know, I, 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 would, I used to take, you know, breaks from smoking, you know, a bit. And just kind of, you know, get healthier again and kind of clean up. And, and uh, when I, when I uh, smoked less, I drank more. Okay, so that means when I smoked more, I drank less. But I'm not sure that drinking a lot all the time is good for you. And and I love it's bad for business though in the brewing business, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm not a pusher. You know, I'm, we're not, <laughs> you know what we're trying to do is when we make beer, we're trying to make for value experiences that people will value. You know, uh, something that they can share when they're with people. You know, who's in company they enjoy. I mean, this is this is beer. Uh, beer in the in our conception is about community. It may mean that as 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 it more uh, as, as cannabis is legalized in more places that there will be lowered alcohol consumption but i'm not sure that's a bad thing i, I heard a sheriff in in, 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 um, in california talking uh after legalization and he said you know that he he never had once since 35 years in law enforcement gone to a domestic violence call where everybody was sitting around smoking pot <laughs> it wasn't you know he never you know people smoke pot they don't go driving like idiots you know so alcohol has its liabilities and that's you know it's a, it's it's part of our world as brewers you know to be rec- to recognize that that's true and so if um so if people drink less i think they'll drink better and that's great for craft yeah sure i suppose, I suppose uh just any any uh you know in a in in a beer market that's flat probably in the u.s at best globally oh, and sorry declining and, in the US. yeah yeah declining yeah. in the u.s and, and in australia i think it's declined well, it's, it's flat and it's maybe i think it went up slightly last year but overall it's been declining yeah. um yeah any any uh you know intel that that is going to say that you know that uh, it's going to decline further is probably going to make big brewers pretty nervous i would have thought <laughs> yeah, it might make big brewers nervous yeah. but but for brewers who uh, make more flavorful products i think it's all good news you know if i get high i'm not I want I want something that's going to be attractive to taste. You know, I I'm not looking just to, you know, get get hammered on it. I, I want you know because now my all my senses are a little turned up a little bit, and I want it to taste like something. I want it to smell like something. And so I think that for for people who make you know more more beers that have higher kind of engagement, marijuana is only good news. But it could be that the beer market too much beer is consumed it could well be that that's the case you know and maybe and marijuana will moderate that well that's all fine you know i mean it's one of the beauties of being a a craft brewer is you don't your beer doesn't have to appeal to everybody in every situation you know we don't have that i'm not trying to sell millions and millions of barrels you know well, maybe uh, we'll wrap things up, but um, just to conclude, um, what's your um, you know perception of the Australian beer market, and you know what are the plans for Lagunitas now that you're finally going to actually be available somewhere other than where we're sitting in the Great Northern? Yeah. Uh- you know, this, the way things are here uh, reminds me a lot of the U.S. And, and maybe maybe reminds me of the U.S. Like different parts of the U.S. are in different phases of development. 
And so it, it reminds me of one of the parts of the U.S. that's like coming up, you know, where, where people are really getting excited about the possibilities of beer being more varied and knowing the brewers who make their beer, you know, and that's, I think it's, it's pretty, it's a, it's a cool time. It's a time of a birth, you know, and that's what could be better than that. So. And what are people going to be able to find from Lagunitas? Well, if you came here tonight, you'd find everything from our our, our barley wine, which we call gnarly wine, uh, to the IPA. You know, and so it's like, uh, you know, we want to we want to present the, the the range of beers that we can make. You know, and, and let let people decide what 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 thrills them. You know? And that they'll all be like there'll be an extensive range rather than just driving the flagship, which is obviously the IPA. Yeah, yeah, and it's important that we do that because you know the IPA is what we do for a living, but all the rest of the beers are 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 meant to like kind of offer variety and give people a chance to experiment and uh, create conversation. And then we hope that when they find the IPA, they'll find that to be something they find attractive too. Cool. Well, uh, let's let's leave it there and let you get out there and um, enjoy some beers with your fans. Uh, Tony, thanks so much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me here, man. It's cool. That was Tony McGee. If you enjoy Radio Brews News and Beer is a Conversation, please rate us and leave a review on your favourite podcasting app, like iTunes. We look forward to joining you next time for another conversation about beer. Beer.